an experiment in trying to keep all the balls in the air at the same time, trying to figure out how to take on uh, uh, juggling uh, additional uh, balls. I remember somebody once told me about uh, juggling. And they said, the only way that you really good at get good at juggling three balls is to try to juggle four balls. And similarly, if you want to juggle four balls, you really need to work at trying to juggle five, and then you get good at doing four. And I think we've been trying to do 16 balls right now and uh, figuring it all out. said many times, many ways, COVID-19 changed everything. Perhaps nowhere is that more true than in local government. I'm Jake Williams, Associate Publisher of StateScoop, and this is the Local Smart Awards Podcast. In this five-part series, we'll take a look at the winners of the 2020 Local Smart Awards. We'll go category by category and talk about what these amazing leaders are up to, how they've weathered the last year, and what advice they have for the folks who will join the ranks of government employees next. In the beginning, you heard the voice of Al Short, the Chief Information Officer for the Washington Area Metropolitan Transit Authority, affectionately known as WMATA, or for those who don't love long names or acronyms, DC's Metro Transit System. Al is one of the six leaders who received the Local IT Leader of the Year Award in this year's Local Smart Awards. But before we dive into Al and the rest of his category, a word about the awards. The Local Smart Awards program honors the visionaries who transform local government to make a difference in citizens' lives. This is the second year of the program, and the whole point is to celebrate the achievements of those in local government who work to make a lasting impact in the community. Local government is where the rubber meets the road, to use an automotive analogy. The governments featured in this podcast series and in these awards are incredibly diverse, from small towns and counties like the one I grew up in to the biggest cities in the country. But that's the point. The thing these folks share is that they often have the closest governmental reach to the citizen. That counts for something. The awards open for nominations in September. From there, our readers cast hundreds of thousands of votes throughout October and early November to come up with these 40 winners. As I said earlier, each episode of this podcast will dive into a different one of these categories and highlight a different group of these leaders. So back to today's episode, we're highlighting the winners of the Local IT Leader of the Year category. This category is designed for those director-level folks across local government who are making big change, even if their purview is limited. Out of 20 nominees, six made the cut. They are, in alphabetical order, Megan Delgadio, Manager of Information Technologies and GIS for Queen Anne's County, Maryland, Jerry Dreesen, the Chief Technology Officer for San Jose, California, Kate Kinnison, the R&D Administrator for San Antonio, Texas, David Moss, Director of Data Management and GIS for Maricopa County, Arizona, Al Short, Chief Information Officer for WMATA, and Peter Wallace, the CIO for Virginia Beach, Virginia. For this episode, we talked to each one of the winners about themselves, their roles, what it was like to be them over the course of the last year, what their priorities and projects were, and and their advice for the next generation of local government leaders. Here are their stories. So you heard Al Short at the beginning talking about what it was like to manage the rapidly changing and growing priorities in an era dominated by COVID-19. For Short and his staff at WMATA, the timing of the pandemic was almost fortuitous in more than one way. The past year is is obviously, for most individuals have been pretty challenging. 
but uh, I think that for us, we found ourselves in a situation where uh, going into the middle part of March of, of this year, we thought that uh, we were going to do an experiment of a work from home for one day, uh, March 16th to be exact, and say to ourselves, let's test everything out to make sure that we can have the, the, the staff work from home. And so we were, did some preparation the first couple of weeks of March. We got, uh, everybody went home on March 13th, Friday the 13th, with this expectation, we we're gonna have this one day of test. And uh, over the course of the weekend, decision was made, nope, we're shutting down and gonna work from home going forward. So that one day experiment became the new norm. And the, the organization uh, had to, to really pivot to uh, pull everything together from, from how we uh, dealt with uh, onboarding of staff, uh, the distribution of equipment, uh, how does the help desk work? How do we go to an appointment system? And uh, I have to, to say that the, the organization really stepped up and, and, and met the need. And we um, very successfully, I think, uh, proved to the organization that we could uh, allow uh, several hundred, if not a couple thousand uh, individuals work from home that in most cases had never worked from home before or very rarely. So that's fortuitous part one. WMATA was getting ready to test remote work anyway, especially as the authority prepares a move in the next few years to new headquarters that spread across the communities that their transportation services serve, Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. I mean, we're still a couple of years away from actually occupying any sort of these new facilities. We started really looking at what the office of the future was going to look like, what the workforce was going to be doing, and, and how they're going to be conducting their 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 jobs and so we had at least put things some things down on paper and and perspectives on how we were going to support a much more mobile workforce and how they were going to be able to hotel and uh, work from home and come from location to location and this uh, experiment in in responding to working from home uh, we were able to accelerate those those plans uh, to be able to achieve that as if the highest pressure remote work experiment wasn't enough the covid 19 pandemic forcing wamata employees to work from home was fortuitous for another reason we had one of those urgent phone calls that they come up it's like everybody get on a call we've got a, a major crisis and uh, there was a fire at our headquarters facility. Now, the fortunate thing was that uh, no one was in the facility. And this, this happened in uh, late May because we were all working from home, of course. Uh, but the uh, turned out to be my office, um, actually. My, my physical location, my office and office uh, that I shared with some folks that was where the, the source of the fire was. And so that turned into, you know, having to go down and figure out what, what to save and then the, the remediation and, and work to redo the facility uh, in response to that. 
You know, I've heard it said a bunch during the response to this pandemic that this was the biggest example of why everything that government technology leaders have been talking about for several years was important. For years, they've been talking about working to modernize systems and move more services online. Then, in what feels like an instant, everyone else across government was calling for the same thing. You know, we had everything rocking and rolling, and then when COVID hit, it kind of turned everything a little bit on its head. That's David Moss, Maricopa County, Arizona's Director of Data Management and GIS. But it actually helped us in the sense of our customers um, was reaching out a lot more and allowing us to be uh, very agile in delivering products and tools to them, whereas before they probably would have tried to do it on their own. I, I think as we try to respond to it, all the hard years of work for the last four or five years that the team has put in to develop an architecture, putting standards in place, paid off, right? You know, sometimes when you're building strategies, you're not 100% sure that the strategy you put in place will help you in a crisis. And we were very fortunate that the work that myself and the team put in place made us to be uber agile during a crisis. And I want to say the government over here at Maricopa County, we responded a lot faster and a lot better than people anticipated for a government agency. And I'm very proud of, of how we were able to do that. Other areas, like San Jose, California, not only tested everything they'd been working on for years in the IT modernization space, but also the innovation realm as well. Here's Jerry Driesen. I jokingly say that I've earned a merit badge in five different branches of the Emergency Operations Center, from our food distribution uh, branch to our logistics branch to now, uh, now I'm in the Powered by People branch, where I'm bringing in the technology strategy as part of our EOC uh, response. What it's like to, to have been me over the last uh, uh, 12 months, really, we went from being um, uh, hard charging on the innovation front in, in San Jose in our digital inclusion efforts and, and our 5G moves to turning that innovation into real-time test uh, test test in terms of response. Before coming to San Jose, Dreesen was the CIO for Hennepin County, Minnesota, the state's largest county. When I was in Minnesota, we talked all the time about how technology can be uh, a lever for change. What the COVID response has done is it foisted the change upon technology. So <laughs> what technologists have been asking for and wanting for a long time, um, but have been looking at um, uh, cultural challenges, organizational challenges, funding challenges, et cetera, all of a sudden he, here it was. So the, um, uh, as, as some famous writer once said, don't let any good crisis go to waste. I mean, this was the call to action and not only um, letting the crisis go to waste, but actually having to take a front seat. If everybody has to shelter in place and, and Santa Clara County was one of the first to uh, declare a, a shelter in place order, that meant that we had to get everybody remote overnight, um, literally overnight. And then also uh, we had to inform our citizens and make sure that um, we were checking in on them and feeding populations, as I've said, and testing them and, and um, had to deal with some housing issues. So if you think about the range of response um, and how much technology was moved uh, from a back office support function to a front uh, kind of line level position, that gave us the transformative aspect that we've been um, pushing for for a long time. Never let a good crisis go to waste indeed. 
So we've talked about the impact on IT, we've talked about the impact on innovation, but there's another crucial piece to the puzzle, connectivity. So we've heard about the digital divide for almost as long as the internet has existed. The divide between those who have access to affordable, high-speed internet and those who simply don't. As the pandemic unfolded, that divide only became more pronounced as the stay-at-home orders cut the unconnected off from work, school, and their governments. In Queen Anne's County, Maryland, which is on the rural eastern shore of Maryland, Megan Delgadio thinks about broadband every day. Um, in my role, I'm also in charge of working with a broadband advisory committee. So I've, in the past several years, I've worked with a, an awesome group of people and tried to get them all educated to the same level so that we can try to push a lot of the broadband, um, just try to get ISPs interested in coming to our area and trying to push for the broadband to try to see how many we can, how many people we can get connected. And this year has really been a good year. The state has been amazing with some of the grants that they've made available. So we're really anxious to see if we can get um, several areas connected that don't currently have it. Cause I know that's been the biggest struggle for our population, for our citizens. It's been, it's been really tough. I mean, I, I know it's been tough just when I have broadband at home. So I can, I can only imagine how it is for people that don't have a great connection as it is at home. A little further south in Virginia Beach, Peter Wallace has more connectivity at his disposal, but has some work ahead to actually take advantage of it. We also have a regional broadband initiative where, you know, Virginia Beach is the destination now for subsea cables to land from Europe, actually. We have crossings from uh, Spain um, and uh, Brazil and also now France. So what we find is that because of our destination, we have to maximize some of those um, subsea cables. So we have a regional ring that connects uh, pretty much all the five Hampton cities, South Hampton cities, that we can actually make those services available to the Hampton roads rather than being an off-ramp to, let's say, um, you know, um, Northern Virginia. So th that's a, a major regional initiative. And, you know, when we look at the, at the beach, we don't look at the beach as one city, we look at it as a region. Because I believe, the, if you take a look at the five cities around um, Hampton Road, uh, we're looking about maybe 1.5 million people. So when you think, look at the audience, you have a better appreciation of what we need to do to make sure that we provide services for this region that also connect our citizens as well. I'm sure this is something we're going to touch on in future episodes of this podcast as we talk to other leaders, but I asked every single local smart leader I interviewed about their advice for the next generation of local government leaders. What surprised me about folks' response to that question is that they all had so much to say. Here's Al Short again. Perseverance is key to achieving what you want to do from an organizational perspective, because typically uh, they, the, the levers are there. The buttons to push are there. It's just that they're different buttons and, and levers than what you might have seen in the in a in a uh, private sector or a yeah you know, private sector uh, situation versus a public sector. And so it may take a little bit longer, but if you keep talking about what you're trying to accomplish and you have good reasons for doing what you're trying to do, and you're, you're showing to folks exactly the benefit that you're trying to achieve uh, for the organization by the effort that you're taking, that you can get there. Now, Kate Kinison, R&D Administrator for San Antonio. I think just to surrender and be vulnerable, you're learning as you go. And you 
you got to know at the outset um, that you're going to probably not end up where you thought you were going to end up. End up. I mean, it's so rare on an innovation path to end, to think that, you know, you have something figured out and at the end of that discovery, you were going to be right. That's not at all what science and development is about. And, and that just doesn't work very often in life anyways. I, I think anyone um, who's lived long enough knows that as soon as you get a picture of your head of how something's going to be, then it's definitely not going to be that way. So um, I think that, you know, folks in innovation, especially folks like me who've now, I've been in this office for eight years, it's important that I test myself and tell myself, no, Kate, you really don't know. Um, and you need to surrender to Brian, uh, your new boss, because um, I've learned a lot from him, or you need to surrender to this department at Solid Waste or, or these folks that you're learning from at Southwest Research Institute, just learn from them, allow them to take it in a different direction. Be prepared to tell city council or your city leadership, hey, I thought it was gonna go this way, but it didn't. And it's okay, we learned something. Uh, we had an experiment uh, to put sensors on solid waste vehicles to uh, help us automatically figure out where potholes were across the city and map them. And it was great. It was such a good idea. Everybody loved it. Guess what? When we started running this experiment during the pandemic, no one was on the streets and the pothole team was filling the potholes so fast that we don't really have a pothole problem right now. So it just wasn't the experiment that we imagined it was, but we still learned a lot along the way. It was still a very worthwhile experiment. And we've got all these new ideas for how we may pivot it you've got to be willing to, to accept that things didn't go how you thought they were going to go if you want to be in the innovation space. If you are a control freak, do not get into innovation. It will not <laughs> suit your, your needs. <laughs> and Peter Wallace. My advice for CIOs um, is that the role is changing. Uh, it's not necessarily about um, the technology, although you know that, that, that's what you grew up knowing, but it's, it's the business. It's, it's what does it support? If you don't have an end in sight when it comes to technology and what it provides, then you're missing the boat, right? You have to make sure that you're working with your peers, your business um, counterparts, that you're providing the right um, services, understand their plight, understand their future, th their vision, because without that, um, you're not going to hit it head on. And I think we got to be more citizen-centric as well. You know, start with that in mind. What is the end result of the citizens that you're providing for? Because that's changing too. Um, people access information are online. They no longer have to come down to city hall. So whatever you build have to be agile to make sure that you can scale um, up or down. Now over to Jerry Dreesen to close us out. I think it's exciting time to join government uh, because I, I think that the art of the possible and thinking about government as it should be, um, not necessarily as it is and always has been, is really um, ripe for discussion right now. I think that um, many people are looking, uh, I think all sectors of government are looking at what do we have now? What, what have we actually learned from COVID and how can we change the way that we deliver government services to truly meet the needs uh, and expectations, quite frankly, of our residents so that uh, we are fulfilling exactly what we signed up to be, uh, which is that of public service.
That does it for our local IT Leader of the Year episode here on the Local Smart Awards podcast. Thanks again to our guests, Megan Delgadio, Jerry Dreesen, Kate Kinnison, David Moss, Al Short, and Peter Wallace for their time and their perspectives. The Local Smart Award winners are all featured on statescoop.com slash localsmart dash awards. Join me again next time as we dive into the remaining winners of the 2020 Local Smart Awards, including the Cybersecurity Leader of the Year category, along with Golden Gov, City Executive of the Year, Local IT Innovations of the Years, and Golden Gov County Executives of the Year. The Local Smart Podcast, part of the Scoop News Group Podcast Network, is hosted, written, and produced by me, Jake Williams. Our intro, outro, and bumper music are written and produced by Jazzer and available via Creative Commons. For all the latest news, events, and multimedia in the state and local government tech community, be sure to check out statescoop.com. Thanks for listening.